welcome. Glad that you guys are here. Happy Sunday. Um, This is always a really fun time of year because, um, as you guys know, if you've been a part of the rhythms of who we are for any time, um, we have guys who are coming back after being away for the summer, right? Um, And then we also have a really cool opportunity to meet new friends um, who are uh, moving to Carrollton or maybe are moving to town, right, for kind of the first time. Um, And so I love this time of year, man. It's really cool to get to meet you guys and get to hang out with you. And so um, just a reminder, um, after church today, um, we've got two things that are going on, okay? So um, if you are, uh, if you're here and you've been here for some time, but you're not a member of the church and you're interested in kind of like first looking at like who we are, what we're about, um, the mission that we are engaged in that we feel like God has called us to, um, then we invite you to stay after for a first look lunch. Um, But we're going to feed you even if you don't, okay? So we would love for you to stay after and ask um, maybe you hear a little bit about the church and maybe ask some questions, kind of a, a front door type of sorts for us. Um, but if you don't um, you know, have time for that today or you're just like, man, I just showed up. I don't know. That seems kind of committee and I don't know that I'm like about that life today. Um, we are going to have barbecue um, after church for everybody. So make plans to hang out um, and to eat lunch and to meet some um, some of our friends. So, um, hey, if you're not already, open up to the book of Genesis. As you have um, likely um, absorbed at this point, right? Um, we're beginning the book of Genesis, and we are going to be tackling it in some um, large sections, right? This morning we looked at Genesis 1 and to Jacqueline and um, Walt did the reading for us, and so um, that's where we're going to be this, this morning. Um, Jacqueline has, um, what what a masterpiece this is right here, right? Yeah, totally, Katie, right. Um, so uh, this is, you may not be able to see this very well from where you are, um, but this is the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis um, illustrated, and there are um, various like hinge points, right? These high mountain markers um, along the way that are illustrated here. And so, if you get a chance, um, check it out after after service. Um, it's it's worth it. It's really really cool. Um, that's the first eleven chapters, and I'll go into a little bit more detail in just a moment as to why there are only eleven up here um, when there are um, fifty chapters that make up this book. So um, a little bit about the book because um, you might be. I would venture to guess that if you're in this room, you are um, somewhat familiar with the book of Genesis. Maybe you've heard of the book of Genesis before. Um, I mean, literally, I remember the first uh, Bible that I like bought on my own. I'm sure that I would been given some like over the course of my life but as a college student I went and I, I bought a Bible and I was like, okay, I'm going to start I'm gonna start reading this thing, right? And naturally you open up to like the beginning, right? Because you are like, that's what you do with every other book, right? You start on page one and you just read. For some reason we like break the Bible up and don't do that very well when it comes to um, reading scripture. But um, that's, a, that's a side note. Anyway, um, if you've ever owned a Bible, you have likely turned to page one, and there it says Genesis, right? Um, and so you're familiar with Genesis, but there are some details that are going to be really helpful for us to lay this morning in this foundation as we begin this um, this journey, that's what it is. Like, we're on a journey together. You're like, I just met you, and now we're journeying. Yes, that's what's happening. We're journeying together through the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is um, written by a guy named Moses. In fact, Moses is credited with writing the first five books um, of the Bible. If you start in the beginning and you just begin turning, each one of those big headings that you come to that signifies a transition into a new book, um, Moses wrote the first five Five of those. Okay, so this includes Genesis, which is where we are, um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay, Moses is, is credited with writing these first five books, but there are some things that are really helpful for you and I to grasp as we begin this journey together about the original audience and what's going on as they receive this letter. Because newsflash, right? Like we are not the first ones to read the book of Genesis. In fact, we are not the, we are not the original audience of the book of Genesis. And so it's helpful for us to know who is Moses writing to and what are the circumstances that are, they are uh, experiencing as they receive this letter. Well, here it is. You're you're in luck, right? You're in luck because I'm going to I'm going to tell you this morning. Moses is writing right this letter to the people of God who find themselves wandering in the wilderness, following their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. 
right? You're likely familiar with this story, right? The, the, the story of the exodus and the deliverance of God's people, the crossing of the Red Sea. There are these, these water markers throughout the Old Testament that like whether you're super familiar with the Bible or the redemptive story or not, you're familiar with those stories. And we see many of those in this book. Moses is writing to a wandering people. Okay, he's writing to a delivered people, but a wandering people. A wandering people in the wilderness waiting to take possession of a land that God has promised to give to them. Right? They're, they're just hanging out. And they would hang out for some time. And so it's helpful for us to get that as we, as we come into this book that Moses is writing to a wandering people in the wilderness. In fact, that's going to be super important as we consider the context of Genesis chapters 1 and 2. We see a book that is broken into 50 chapters that can really be divided into two major sections. Can you guess what the first major section is? 1 through 11. Man, you guys are are brilliant, right? We're really on it today, right? 1 through 11 is this first major section of the book of Genesis. And if we consider what God is communicating by way of these first 11 chapters, we really see that it is about Him and the world, right? God and the world. This is what we see being, being displayed over the course of the first 11 chapters. In fact, we read the first two today, right? And what did we see? Well, we saw the creation of the world and the things that fill it, right? And so that makes a a, a lot of sense, super logical. I get that. If we look at verses 12 through 50, we're going to narrow in a little bit. And it's not on here. And so when we finish 1 through 11, we will erase this. We will lament as we erase this because of the work that Jacqueline has put into it. Um, And then we're going to put chapters 12 through 50 on here. And we'll see this story about God and his relationship and his promise to this man named Abraham and his family. Father Abraham. We know the song, right? Like we could sing it right now. Many of us, right, if we, if we um, desired, but I'm not going to lead us in that, so we won't. Hang on to it, though. That's the guy we're going to be talking about in chapters 12 through um, 50. Now, through the first 11 chapters, we are confronted with some of the most well-known, most hotly debated chapters in the Bible, okay? Now, these are really well-known chapters in the Bible because we see The creation story, right? Like we see the the story in this account of creation. We see the the shaping, the forming, and the filling of the earth. We see this this background related to human existence and even um, this monumental event of the flood, right? We're, we're familiar with these things, and so, so naturally we can say that in the first 11 chapters, this is a, a very well-known portion of the Bible. Now, in addition to being very well-known, it is also, as we have already stated, some of the most hotly debated chapters in the Bible. Because, for the same reasons that we know about it, right? Because we deal with things like creation theory, and earth age, and human existence, and the flood. And whether you find yourself, right, in conversation with a peer at a bar, or eating barbecue, everyone has an opinion or a thought about what we see in the first 11 chapters of this book. So it's super well known, right? But it's also, like hotly debated. And so as we work through, one of the things that we're going to see concerning the debate surrounding these 11 chapters in this book uh, as a whole, one of the reasons that it's so controversial is because many times I think we, the reader, take an off approach at reading and understanding it. And so my prayer, as we have been working towards the beginning of this book, my prayer for you and me and those that are not here who will be here, right, is that as we work our way through these 50 chapters, that we would approach it, and that we would approach this book desiring to observe its beauty. Okay, let's, let's step away from the debate. 
Okay, and maybe in a sense we even need to step away from the familiarity, right? And we need to observe this book for its beauty, leaning into the fundamental questions about meaning and existence that naturally arise as we do an honest reading of the book. Questions that we must all answer regardless of worldview. Okay, so I'm about to give you four of them. Four questions that we will see arise as we work through these uh, two chapters, through these 11 chapters, and through these 50 chapters. And that um, begins our time right here, right? Here it is. Four questions. Where are we and what is here? Okay, like where, where are we and what is here? That's the first question. The second one is this. Who are we and why are we here? Okay, so we, we begin with the where, right, and the what, and then we transition into the who and the why, right? Who are we and why are we here? The third one, um, man, we are all going to connect with this in a really incredible way, right? What is wrong with us? <laughs> okay, like, okay, I got an idea, I think, based off of our reading who I am, but now, like, what? What is wrong with me, right? It's like we all just read WebMD and we think we have something serious going on internally, right? What is wrong with us and what is wrong in our world? If you don't even recognize that there's something wrong with you, you certainly recognize it in the world, right? Like I'm cool, but all these other people are crazy, right? Like we're going we're gonna to work at, uh, working through these, two, these, these questions. Um, the fourth one, here it is. What's the solution? Right, like having having recognized the problem, what then is the solution? Having recognized the disorder that we live in, desiring something better for ourselves and others, the question is, what do we do? And and where are we on this spectrum of existence? Who who am I and, and where am I and what in the world is wrong? What's the solution? And then where am I in terms of all of this coming together? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the first eight verses of... Genesis chapter 1. Now, it, you, you might be a little bit confused. If you're new to the Bible, you read Genesis 1, and then we transition to Genesis 2, and it seems as though there's this remaking again, like God made, and then there's this retelling of making, and you're like, what happened? Did we um, just like like just erase everything in chapter 1, and then we go on to chapter 2, and there's this remaking that takes place? What we actually see is, um, is a, a double telling, right? We're retelling of the same account. Through the first, through the first two chapters. Now, in order for us to do this, um, we're going to have to take super broad, like brush strokes at this book. Okay, does that make sense? Like, we're not zoning in on like one verse, right, and, and, and unpacking and parsing all of the detail that we observe in that one verse, which is typically what we do. Okay, but for this book, we're going to be taking really broad brushstrokes, seeking to understand God's redemptive narrative. I love narrative. We did not too long ago the book of Ruth, and I realized following our time in the book of Ruth, and about halfway through our study through 1 and 2 Timothy, that I so enjoy narrative. I think we all do, right? Like We all like to hear stories told. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be leaning into this story. And as we work our way through it, we're going to be asking this question. How does this story inform like this story? Right? Does that make sense? Do you guys get what I mean by that? Like, how does, how does this story, what God is doing here, how does that inform everything that we observe in the world around us? How does this story inform the way that we understand and, and see this story? We're going to talk about it at the, at the conclusion of our time together today. But if we, if we misunderstand or misrepresent the book of Genesis, it sets us on a trajectory that is going to create major issues as we engage with the rest of the Bible, including what many of us would likely say is the section of the Bible that we are most familiar with, that being the New Testament. Okay, We've got to get this. In order to best understand this. We've got to get this in order to best understand this. Does that make sense? Are we cool? Everybody good? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Here we go. Um, Genesis chapter 1 
verses um, 1 through 8. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, we're going to go into some some really important details from verses 1 and 2 that, that are going to shape or reshape some really pertinent truths related to God's word um, in, in just a few moments. And so, so hang with me as we read through these eight verses. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. That's a familiar saying that we are going to observe through these, these two chapters. And God separated the, night from, uh, the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Right? Yeah, night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Let's lean in together to the story. Let's let's lean in and let's look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 for just a moment. Moses writes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, here's how we often approach the book of Genesis and maybe even often approach narrative, these stories, right? We, we dive in and we immediately have these preconceived notions about creation and what it looked like. And we begin building these theories that then oftentimes find themselves in conflict with other theories, Right. In fact, last week uh, we had an event on the lawn hosted by one of our MC groups uh, last Sunday night. That was last Sunday night, right? For those of you who were here. Yeah. Kayla and Matt and the Cherry Street MC did an incredible job hosting that, by the way. Um, But while we were there, there was actually a conversation that arose about creation theory. Right. And and, and I kind of jumped into the conversation. I interjected myself. I have like a supernatural ability to do that for those of you who. Who, who know me or don't. I can really just like wedge myself into conversations super well. And so I kind of jumped in and began engaging and dialoguing through the conversation. It was, I was there for like a second and then I like, like I just like smoked out, like just disappeared. Right. Um, but, but it was so interesting and I so enjoy conversations like those. In fact, two semesters ago on Thursday morning at 830 AM at Starbucks, here on campus, who's familiar with Starbucks on campus? Yeah, did you guys wait for like four hours in that line this week for a latte? It was remarkable. It was a beautiful illustration of human perseverance. Okay, that's what it was. Okay, so we're we're waiting in the line for all the, the Starbucks, right? And I was thinking about, man, there's a table that used to be in there that I met with um, a, a group of college students uh, over the years. And we actually had a study that was entitled Donuts and Doctrine. And we talked about doctrine and we spent a whole Thursday or two Talking about creation theory, right? Old earth, new earth, right? Like literal seven day, like figurative. What does this mean? What are we to think? Here's what we often do. And I do this. And it is a lot of fun to engage in conversation, right? And in certain settings with certain people about these issues. But what oftentimes happens is we read the Bible from uh, an English American uh, perspective and we begin to create controversy in some ways that I don't know that the author ever intended. And in fact, in doing so, sometimes there's a danger that we, uh, we reject his actual intent for his reader, let me, let me tell you what I mean. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Moses is super broad about the way that he writes this first verse. What we know as the first verse. In fact, if we were to put what Moses is writing here in our own language, let me put it in some language that we're really familiar with, especially given the geographical context right, that we are in. Uh, it's almost like this. Um, Hey, like way back when, God created, 
right? God created um, the heavens and the earth. Like, like way, yeah, way back then. That's almost the language that Moses is using as he is, is writing this. He's not seeking to explain or defend God's power to produce in creation. We get that from the, the really broad language that he uses. It's not this day or that day or this, but it's way back when. Like, allow me to unpack the existence of all that we observe around us. Way back when, God did this. And so what is Moses' intention? If it's not to explain or defend, what is it about? Well, I think that he is really drawing the people into this beautiful story of God's kindness and faithfulness. Right? We cannot ostracize, right? we can't separate Genesis 1 and even the creation narrative from what we observe from the rest of the book of Genesis and the rest of the redemptive story as a whole. If we do, we're in major danger of not understanding God's, God's heart and God's purpose and God's intent. God is, by way of Moses here, drawing us into his kindness and faithfulness. And he's going to spend the better part of the next 50 chapters contrasting that with the trajectory of sin and death. Okay, this story is an emotional roller coaster, as we will see. Right? And let's, let's lean into it and let's see what I'm talking about. If we look at verse 1 and we observe this, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Way back when God created. Let's put ourselves in the position of the original audience. In fact, we don't even have to work that hard. We can put ourselves in position as ourselves. Right? And we can understand it from our perspective. And we can go, wow, way back when God created. Incredible story, right? And we almost like there's a proverbial cheer that arises among people because we exist as opposed to not existing, right? And that's a super great story that we can all get on board with. God creates. Yay! Right? That's almost the response that, that we have as we, as we begin reading. Only then we transition into verse 2, right? So we've been up here. Yay! God creates. God is so kind and, and merciful and, and gracious and beautiful. And then we come into verse 2. God creates, but we see that the earth is without form and it is void. Well, that's super interesting, isn't it? Right? The earth is without form and, and void. I don't know what you think about when you um, hear those words, but typically I think in my mind of this sphere, right? Like in darkness, just being, right? Just like kind of being there. And that's the extent of it. It just kind of ends. But there's a, there's a deeper concept and idea that we're being drawn into by way of the, the writing and the intentionality of Moses. And Jacqueline did a really great job of illustrating this up here for us. As, as Moses paints this picture of a world that is without form and void, it's really this wild wasteland that's being projected. Right? That the, that the world is is wild and it is waste right it's just there's there's darkness and there is chaos it's almost as though um this 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 picture is being painted of a desert wilderness right just this 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 area in which life is incapable of flourishing which we're going to draw ourselves a little bit more into in just a moment but this is the first contrast that we really see in the book right verse 1 god creates yay awesome story verse 2 the earth is wild and waste oh no this is super problematic why well, because the land being wild and waste with darkness covering the face of the deep is an environment that is unsuitable for existence. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't foster life well. Right? Wild wasteland, right? deserts and, and depths does not foster life very very well, especially human life. These are strange places for life. Anybody ever seen the um, like the Discovery Channel? You guys are familiar with the Discovery Channel, right? That's still a thing. It's still around, right? Okay. Um, there's this this there's shows all over the Discovery Channel. They will just mess you up, right? They will just 
they will scare you, right? And like lead you out, like throwing my TV TV away. I'm never watching the Discovery Channel again. Everything's trying to kill me, right? Um, we watch these shows and we see these um, these these you know these guys will load into these submarines, right? And they'll take these submarines like five miles deep into the ocean or whatever. And they get down there and they turn on this like tiny little like flashlight and like there's this just this fish, right? With like no eyes or skin or like it's just floating, like eating things. Like it's terrifying, right? You guys know what I'm talking about here, right? And then you have the other side of, of, of kind of this, this paradigm, which is um, these, these desert lands, right, that we have in our world. Right, where you go to them and there are just like snakes that eat sand. How do they survive like on that? They eat snakes eat sand, they don't drink water, right? You have these lizards that I mean it's just awful. You guys get the picture, right? This is an environment where where life is strange. Right? Life doesn't flourish here. In fact, you have to be um, you have to you have to be really out there even to make it. Right, even to make it in environments like this, you have to not look like things typically look. Right? We see in verses one and two, as we observe the creation account as a whole, right, that in the beginning the earth is a dangerous place. Only amidst the danger and among the waste, we see God's breath. Moving, right? We see God's God's breath moving. We see we see the Spirit moving, and as the Spirit moves, we see this carving out that takes place, right? Among the wild waste, we see the breath of God moving and carving among this this wilderness wasteland a place for humans not only to live. But to flourish. Right, we see this, this, this garden scene begin to develop. In this raw place, God provides order. Right, if we think about what we observe through the first chapter of the book of Genesis, we might best be able to summarize it as this, right? That God provides order. Right, amongst a, a, a raw environment in a dangerous place, God brings order. He provides order, and he does so by the power of his word. Right, in verse 3, God creates light. And we see that there is this separation, there's this contrast that develops. And it is yet another yay moment for you and I as we lean into this narrative. God creates, yay, the earth is without form and void. Oh, major bummer. God creates light and there's this separation that takes place, yay. Because we see that this separation produces all sorts of beauty. Right? Like, think about what we observed through, uh, through Walt's reading. As Walt read through, you did an incredible job reading through chapter one, Walt. We see that there is earth and there is, is water, right? Which brings forth agriculture. We see that there is sun and moon and stars. We see that there are fish and birds. We see livestock, right? There's this filling. Of this place that's suitable for human flourishing among this wild wilderness wasteland. And we say, wow, God is, God is incredible. What an incredible God, right? But, but in addition to what an incredible God, we say, what an incredible place. This is, this is, is beautiful. And then we come... We're flashing forward in the story. Story, Remember, super broad strokes here. We come to verse 26. God creates this, this world. He gives it form. He gives it order. That he creates, carving out a place for human flourishing. And then, verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image. Right after, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens 
and, and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man. God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and, and subdue it. Right? And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then we see God going into this, this further conversation concerning the, the plants right, and seeds and, and their purpose for food. Every beast of the earth and every bird of the heaven and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given Every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw that he had made what he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. In verse 26, we see that humans are made by God. Humans are made by God, and they are made in the image of God. They are blessed to live out His design and His desire. We see this beautiful mind of God, don't we? We see the beautiful mind of God. We see the creativity of God ordering this environment that is both raw and structured. Right? It's, it's both chaotic and ordered. It's ideal for human flourishing and it's designed to display His beautiful nature. We see an environment that God gives to the capstone of His creation. Humanity to have dominion over. Now, what does this mean? What is God giving to humanity? What's his instruction? Well, his instruction is this I have created and carved out this beautiful place. Here it is, right? The contrast, the wild waste, and then just this beautiful garden, right? Image of God dwellers there, representing him, right? Displaying, displaying him. I filled it. Blessed, and now I am giving you instruction to manage it well, right? To have dominion over it, to, to, to manage what I have created and what I have carved out. God creates and orders a world that He will rule over and share with humanity as they, and this is pivotally important, as they act. As representatives in this place. Well, what do you mean by representatives? What do you mean by by reflection? What does that mean? What are we talking about? Human existence and how that is to be understood and what we see here. Well, we, we see, right, that we are image bearers of God. We're representatives of God. We are reflections of God. This is an important distinction to make. And so we now ask a question. What does it mean to be and to reflect? What does it mean to be an image bearer? What does it mean to reflect God? What is the difference in these two things? I want to show you guys a a picture. I want to show you a picture. We have this picture, Simon. Can you pull this up, man? I want to show you this. Yes, see this? It's kind of small, right? It's, uh, yeah, the TVs are kind of far away. But that's, yeah, that's us, okay? Um, so I want to ask you a question. It's kind of a trick question, but I want do, do me a favor. Engage with me, okay? As you look at this picture, right, uh, is this with the hat and the all black and the bands, which is typical, right, of course, is that me? You guys respond with me. Yes. yes. Okay, that's, that's me. What about, what about um, the, the, the shorter person? <laughs> I don't want to assume that you all know who that is. That's my son. That, I don't know. Yeah, that would be kind of... It's just some kid at the aquarium. <laughs> right? No, that's my, that's my, that's my son. Is that, is, that my, is that my son? Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of, right? It's not really me, right? Because I'm here, right? Like, I'm me. And so what is that? Well, it's more of a reflection, right? It's more of an image, right? It's, it's, it's a picture, right? It's not actually Judah. 
It's, a, it's an image of Judah. Judah's in, um, in there with, with king's kids, right? The distinction here is really important, isn't it? And it seems maybe a, a bit silly, right? And you're like, okay, you're just like, you're just being weird, okay? <laughs> like, like, this is a weird question. And yeah, okay, it kind of is, but I think it makes a really, a really powerful point. You see, I am, I am me, and that's an image of me. Getting the distinction here is, is critically important because it sets, it sets us on a trajectory to answer two fundamental questions that we have said we all must answer. Right? That being, where are we and who are we? You see, in the same way that that is an, an image of me, and I am me, and that is not me, although it does reflect me quite accurately, right? Um, in the same way, we can say this, that God is God and that we are not, right? God is God and we are not. God created humans in his image to enjoy him and to worship him, to oversee all that he has created and to manage it well. And if we stop the story here, we're on like a, a high point, aren't we? Remember our roller coaster. Where are we on the roller coaster? We've got the yay of like creation. Right? We've got the awe of like wilderness waste. Right? We've got yay of like inhabitants, right? And managing and reflecting and enjoying God. Reflecting him for another. Just reflecting God and enjoying him and managing his beautiful creation. Yay, we're at the top, right? And if we stop there, then we just stop on a yay, right? Only we see that the story doesn't stop here, okay? The, the story doesn't, doesn't stop here. In fact, in, in Genesis chapter 3, we see um, human discontentment. We see human discontentment with bearing God's image, right? Saying, no, I don't desire to simply reflect God's image, Right? I don't desire to, to enjoy God and to worship God, right? To manage what He has given me, but what instead we oftentimes desire, thus the human condition, is to be God. Right? Not to reflect Him, but to, to be Him. Right? Not to manage His creation, but to rule over His creation, to make it ours and to do as we please. I think sometimes we, we buy into this idea that the world is a horrible place. In light of all of the things that we see going on in us, right, and around us, because of this, this rebellion and our desires to, to be God as opposed to reflect God. Now, if we believe this, if we believe that the world is a horrible place, then it will naturally shape the way that we treat its creator and other inhabitants. So what I want to encourage us to do is to embrace a shift of sorts. You see, there's this ever-present tension in Genesis between God's good desire, right, observable in Christ Jesus and humanity's Poor management. That's the distinction that we are stepping into. What we need to, to understand is that the world is not a horrible place. And this is a theme that we're going to trace through the book of Genesis. The world is not a horrible place. It's just under horrible management. Okay? Does that make sense? This is the way that I heard this unpacked this past week as I was working through this. Man, so such a sweet time in God's word this past week. Right? You think about some of your favorite restaurants in Carrollton. If you're new to Carrollton, I'm about to like make your day because I'm going to tell you all the type places you need to go. Okay, you think about like the Corner Cafe, right? Or you think about um, Highland Deli, or you think about South of Heaven. Anybody been there before? The new barbecue place in Carrollton. Yes, right. Just one thing. <laughs> It's incredible. Get there earlier, you won't get a seat. And they're open until they sell out. Like, that's their hours. When it's gone, it's gone, and we go home, right? If you think about these restaurants that we so often come to enjoy, right? We, we frequent them, we go, we fellowship with, with our friends. Like, we spend time, we hang out, we eat good food, we enjoy good company. 
Imagine this. Imagine for a second that um, the, the, uh, the, the corner cafe, right, that it came under new management. And then all of a sudden, like all the things that we love about corner cafe just went away, right? Um, the spin art, right, just went away. No spinach and art show. Or it just became like that, right? Like it was just not good anymore. Um, and they tore down all like the really weird art. Right, just in there that I don't know about you, but like I really enjoy. I oftentimes think about what are my favorite pieces. I'm in between the Elton John picture um, superimposed upon the wooden uh, frame, right, or um, the yellow cat in the window. That's my son's favorite. So I can disagree with him. They take all that stuff away, right? They change all their recipes. And you go in and you go, man, this place is totally different now. It's not as it ought to be. Now, here's what our natural inclination might be, right? Just burn this place to the ground. Okay, just like, just burn it to the ground. Like, just light the match. I'll bring the gasoline. You bring the matches and we'll just finish this place off. Only then we step back and we go, wait a second. Like, let's consider all the beautiful things that have been in this place and that we have experienced here. And let's instead say, this place needs not be burned to the ground, but it needs new management, right? It needs to be, it needs to be, uh, it needs to be transformed in terms of who is actually, who is actually in charge. Right? Our, our world, our world is uh, a place in which we see a lot of horrible things happen. Right, like we turn on the evening news, perhaps. Maybe you're a news person. Maybe you're a. Um, if it's on Twitter, I hear about it, or Instagram, or Facebook, or whatever that kind of looks like for you. Um, either way, we are um, all capable of diagno- diagnosing the atrocities of our world that lead us to say this place is broken. What we as God's people, right, want to do is we want to lean in and we want to say, let's not burn it to the ground, right? But let's um, let's see. Let's see management transformed, right? And like transferred. Let's see, let's see. Let's see new management take over, um, take over this, this place and, and run as it was intended to. I want to read you a quote um, from a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones on a book that he wrote. It's really tiny. I would recommend it to you. It's called, I believe, The Gospel in Genesis. It's like this bit. You can get it on Amazon. It's got a green cover. Um, he said the following. Um, in his first chapter about just kind of like some of the problems we observe in the world. The guys lean in and hear this. Like we're going to land in just a moment, I promise. And then we're going to, we're going to eat barbecue. Right? We're going to eat barbecue. But I want you guys to hear this. We can all relate with this. We are conscious of problems in this world. Right? Problems in our own personal lives and in the world at large. There is no such thing as complete and perfect happiness. No one is without difficulties. Perhaps you have convinced yourself that you're the only one that's having a hard time. And there are times in which some of us are having more difficult times than others, right? But everybody's having a hard time, right? Because it's the nature of the world that we live in. Everyone knows what it is to be weary, to be disappointed, and to struggle. We find conflict within ourselves. We can't find conflict round and about us. That is the experience of every human being. There's always a fly in the ointment. There's no such thing as unmixed pleasure. We have all discovered, and no matter how young we are, we've discovered this, that life does involve us in difficulties, in problematic situations. And we have a feeling that we were not meant for this. Amen? We do not like it, and we want to be delivered from it. That is ultimately the cause of all quests in the lives of men and women. We're all going the same direction. Right? We are searching for some solution to the problems of life. There are difficulties. There are uh, such things as heart searchings and disappointments. We are all somehow or another seeking from some way out of some impasse. The Bible speaks towards this. right? So is this where you are? Guess what? The Bible speaks towards this. The book of Genesis speaks towards this. It comes to us with a message about the position that we find ourselves in. So what do we do? We look to the Bible. Okay? Look to the Bible. Are you unhappy? The Bible talks about your unhappiness. The larger question is, why are you unhappy? Right? So we gotta do a little bit more work. Like I'm unhappy. Great. Yeah, like get in line. Like, right? 
the, the question is why? Why are we unhappy? Why are we discontent? What is the cause? Why should anyone be unhappy? Why should life not be a perpetual holiday? Why do we have to work by the sweat of our brow, which we will look at next week? There are some, these are some of the questions that the Bible deals with. Why do things go wrong? Why illness? Why sickness? Why death? The Bible, the book of Genesis, deals with these questions. Now, these are the questions. But the question then is, what in the world is the solution to this? Well, the solution to the sin, which has created all the problems that we have just discussed, that we observe in the world around us and that we feel within... The solution to the sin that we see in the world, the sin that we feel, is not to burn it all down or to isolate ourselves or ostracize ourselves. The solution is to look to Jesus. Okay? That is the solution. Jesus is the solution to the issues that we see. Jesus is the solution to the issues that we feel. One commentator said it like this, The kingdom and rule of God comes in Jesus to be the human ruler that we were created to be. Managing creation well. We have failed, right? We have, we have failed. And we continue to fail. Only in Christ we see the faithful one. Right? The, the ruler that we were created to be but failed to be. Jesus shows us what proper and perfect management looks like. Only then he takes our place as our substitute. Right? Feeling our punishment as poor and rebellious managers. Right? Transforming us. And transferring to us by faith his wages and our reward, which is what? What is our reward? Here it is, man. This is the this is the beauty of the gospel. Right? That we are we are poor managers. Right? We have sought not to reflect God, but we have sought to be God. And we are all guilty of that. Right? The beauty of the gospel is this, right? That Christ Jesus. The God-man enters into the brokenness of this world and lives in perfect obedience, managing as God desires, reflecting Him perfectly and beautifully. If we've seen the Son, then we've seen the Father, right? And then, following His obedience, His perfect obedience in life, He submits Himself at the cross to death, taking the punishment that we deserve as we have rejected the instruction of the righteous landowner and sought to rule everything on our own, so that as we look to his sacrifice and the hope of the resurrection, here it is, right? That his wages might be, might be transferred into our account and we might again know fellowship with this perfect and beautiful creator. Do you guys get that? It's broken and marred as a result of our poor management. Only in Christ Jesus, fellowship with God, friendship with God is made possible. This is incredible news for God's people. We cannot misunderstand Genesis. We cannot misunderstand Genesis. We cannot misrepresent this story. The danger being that if we do, there will be a misunderstanding and a misrepresentation of the story. If we misunderstand and we misrepresent this story, right about here, right? Then we misunderstand and misrepresent the story. That being God's plan to redeem a people to the glory of his name. Genesis is not this book covered in dust that is completely unpractical for God's people living in 2018. Genesis is a most practical book for you and I. This story for a wilderness people of a God who brings order and beauty that results in human flourishing. You and I... You and I, of course, benefit from the full counsel of God. And 
ultimate human flourishing and understanding of what this looks like resulting from the resurrection of our Redeemer, Jesus. And so is this the God that you know, right? Is this the story that you know, right? Is this, is this the, the, the perfect land manager that you know? Has Genesis shaped? Is it shaping and informing our understanding of the, of the story? The, the story. Right? The story that begins, here it is, we're going to close right here. The story that begins in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 with creation and life before transitioning into Genesis 3, which is where we'll be next week, and this death that results from sin for all people. That's where it begins, right? And then we go to the end of the book. And you can do this. You can turn here. If you have your Bibles, turn here. Turn to Genesis chapter 50. At the end of the book, okay, creation, order, life, flourishing, death, promise, right? We see in Genesis 50, death, right, that, that then transitions into this realm of life. That's how we close our time in, in 50. In the same way in chapter 1, we go from life to death. In chapter 50, we go from death to life. And this story of Jacob's burial and the progression of this promise through Joseph. Life to death in Genesis 1-3. And then in Genesis 50, from death to life. That's where God's taking us. From death to life. It's what he does in us. Right? Like if you are in fellowship with God, you were dead and you are now alive. You're here and you're testing out this whole Jesus thing. Know that without him you are dead and in need of being made alive. And Jesus in his great grace does that. Right? He makes us alive. And even as we die, right, we are being made more alive as we are transformed into his image, looking forward to the end of all things in this grand fellowship that we enjoy with God. What a beautiful day to enjoy the Lord's Supper, as we do every week, right? But this is where God's bringing us. Ultimate human flourishing in a world absent of sin and pain and death. That's where God's bringing us. That's what this meal means. what it symbolizes. What is possible and available, what God has done through Christ Jesus. And so we come to the table today, right? We come to the table today and we remember the broken body of our King. We remember His spilled blood, right? We take of the elements, remembering the hope of the resurrection, and we say, man, we are set for this. This is where we are going. We're being reminded as we come to the table together each week. Ultimate life and ultimate human flourishing. This is God's story, and this is what he's doing. So, um, I look forward to continuing to unpack it through Genesis week. Hey, let's pray.